0: Sometimes there's things that he's doing in the church that we don't really pick up on. We think it's just us when really it's more than just us. He's speaking it to all his children to grasp and to hold and you know, to really um, to listen, to listen. Uh, tonight uh, we're going to be in Revelation uh, chapter 9. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you follow along. Uh, we're going do the thir- first 13 verses of chapter 9. Um, revelation and review up to this point remember John was on the island of Patmos um, that he saw Jesus revealed in glory that he was there exiled because he was an enemy of the state so to speak he was following God and the the people, the powers that be did not want him around and as you know church uh, legends would have it, they tried to kill him and God wouldn't allow him to die and so they exiled him to Patmos this prison island Uh, And in this we see a message to the churches. We see the end of the world as we know it. Um, The great tribulation as it's called. Um, We see judgment on the nations and those who follow Satan up to this point. And that it's really clear who the world is following uh, in this time. As you read Revelation, it's clear that they're following Satan. It's clear that they're following anything but God and his word. Um, But even in all that... uh, even in the midst of God's anger and judgment, it's, it's really, in some sense, if not the whole sense, a last-ditch effort to get the world that remains to repent. Obviously, those who have taken the mark, uh, they're beyond that point. They're receiving in themselves the penalty that is due, uh, like Romans might talk about. Uh, but as bad as this whole time is, hell is worse. That this seven years of tribulation, like the world has never seen, hell is forever. And God does not desire that any should perish, that all should repent and come to the saving uh, grace of Jesus. Uh, and in fact, that's a big part of why he's given us revelation, I believe, is to get our attention. It's what got my attention. Uh, when bef- uh, before I truly came to know the Lord, uh, God had me in revelation. And uh, I knew that it was real. God opened my eyes and showed me that it was real and that I was not prepared for it. That I was I was on a path towards judgment. And it was the fear of righteous judgment that got me to repent uh, because I knew that God loved me and I knew that he was the way, the truth, and the life. But literally, we see hell on earth, that Satan's kingdom will be in full force as the Holy Spirit's influence, in a sense, is uh, is removed and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Uh, you know, uh, you don't need my teachings, but if you're interested in, in what uh, I've taught through up to this point in Revelation, the messages are available online uh, at resurrectionmontana.org. Uh, but sincerely, uh, get into it for yourself. The, you know, if we remember Revelation one three says, "Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, to keep those things which are written in, for the time is near." That even just reading this book, I mean, there's a blessing obviously in reading the whole Bible. But when we read uh, the letter of Revelation to to John to the church from Jesus, there is a there is an abundant blessing in it. Um, uh, like I said, dig into it. You know, I've never not been blessed by revelation, right? I know that's kind of cliche to say. There's Even if I haven't enjoyed my Bible time, it's still been a blessing, you know, when you really look at it. But, you know, to put it in context, Jake was reading uh, Numbers the other night. And I was like, Jake, good for you, buddy. You know, he, he was uh, asking a question. He didn't understand uh, one of the words, um, sacred. He thought it was secret. He's like, what does this mean? So I got, it was a joy to explain that to him. Uh, but it's a little harder when you're reading numbers to kind of dig out that blessing, when Revelation sort of uh, oozes it. <laughs> but previously we saw uh, the first four seals were broken, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the white horse, the rider with a bow and crown, the Antichrist revealed, a fiery red horse uh, with war, a black horse with scales, death, and famine, uh, pale green uh, corpse, you know, disease, and more death following all that. Uh, that as the tribulation goes on, the world is falling apart. As much as the world would like to tell you that they're getting it more together every day, uh, it's going to get worse. Uh, we saw the, uh, the fifth seal broken, martyrs slain for the word of God and their testimony, given a white robe, a sixth seal. There were signs in heaven, an earthquake. The sun became sackcloth, the moon like blood, the stars of heaven fall, sky recedes like a scroll. We talked about how, you know, the things uh, sort of are a zoomed out view, and then we kind of get uh, a zoomed in view. Uh, and one of the things, one of the takeaways from earlier parts were that everyone hides in a sense, but they don't repent. Uh, they want the mountains to fall on them and die instead. Uh, but as we'll see today and, and as, uh, with one of the other trumpets, that death won't save them. Death won't be their release. You know, as much as people are fighting for euthanasia these days, death is not the way out uh, of a godless life. Uh, the seventh seal, that there was silence in heaven for half an hour. That's really interesting on two levels. One, that there would be silence in a place where there's worship of God. But two, that you know we're talking about eternity, and yet John was still aware of 30 minutes passing. Uh, that's something for another time. Uh, but we saw the first four trumpets, that hail and fire were mixed with blood with the first one. That there was a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea. A great star falling from heaven that turned uh, most of the water on earth bitter. Its name was Wormwood. We saw a third of the sun, moon, and the stars were dimmed. But with all that, that's a lot of, a lot to go on there. That I think one of the things I really want to take away from this and want us to take away from it is that the physical world is connected to the spiritual. That it's not just a conspiracy, right? You know, there's so many things that were conspiracy for so many years that are coming out now and are going, it's not really a conspiracy. It was real, but that the spiritual world is directly connected to the physical world. You know, the players involved might be absolutely clueless. The world leaders may or may not be knowingly worshiping Satan or implementing his policy, or they may not be. Uh, They may just be slaves to sin, uh, or they're just conspirators even, maybe planning on taking charge of things. Um, But the events of this world, whether you're a sinner or a saint, are not just physical that there is a spiritual backing. Now, I'm not purporting that just because you stub your toe, you know, Satan stuck his leg out and tripped you, so to speak. Uh, I don't mean that there's that sort of hyper-spiritualism there. Uh, but at the very least, it, it comes in some sense because we live in a broken world, a world that's, uh, you know, destroyed by sin. And so there's going to be effects of that. But at the other time, I think sometimes we we forget, at least I know I forget, that that the Bible is very clear that there are spiritual powers Uh, behind things that are going on on earth and that they uh, do manifest themselves in in physical ways. Uh, But with that, uh, I would ask all of us, myself included, where do we stand today? You know, no matter what state you're in, no matter what uh, position in life you're in, you know, where do you stand What's your position on these things in the world, That these things that the Bible is very clear about? And more than the Bible, so to speak, the very word of God, what Jesus is clear about, what he has said, what he has given. He could have said anything in this final note to us, so to speak, as the church. But this is what he says. He says some very hard things, some very scary things. And, and do we gloss over it? There are some things in Scripture that we like to ignore. And, and why is that? And really, what are we living for? Like it was said uh, at least several times think you pray, you know, what w- this is not our home. Our, especially now, you know, the American dream up in flames, uh, how much easier should it be to grasp the things of God and let go of the things of earth as uh, the American utopia is going by the wayside? When we no longer have a guarantee tomorrow, when you no longer, uh, you know, not that we ever really did, right? It's all an illusion to some to some extent. But how much more should we be living for the things of God and for what He has for us, uh, you know? Or do we really think that all is okay and getting better? Uh, you know, there's this talk in the political sphere of two realities: uh, one party thinks that everything's fine, the other party thinks everything's not. But I submit to you that it's even larger than that. It's even larger. That's just a symptom of the spiritual things that are going on. You know, we can look around the world today and see that there is a spirit at work, and the whole world is under the sway of the wickedness of it. When the whole world starts to agree on certain things, you have to go, (laughs) there's something more at play here. Do we truly believe that our master, that Jesus is coming soon? You know, we say that, and we've said that for millennia as a church, um, but do we really believe it, that our day of salvation is nearer today than it was yesterday? And more so than ever, really, will he find us faithful when he returns? And he says, will he find faith on the earth? You know, in some sense, I was thinking earlier today, I don't feel ready. And I know that that's sort of a, a misnomer and maybe a misjudgment about spiritual position and everything. But in the other sense, I feel like, man, like I need to be more about my father's business. That if Jesus came back today, I'd be like, oh man, there's so much more I had yet to do. And I know that, you know, that can be kind of taken out of context and, and misconstrued and, and all that. But I think the heart that I'm trying to convey is, man, like, I know that there's so much more that God would have for me and for my family and for each one of us. And I know that he wants to see that come to pass. And I think that in these times that we're in, it's it's in some sense him trying to to lift that veil for us, as he does in Revelation, to get us on board with his plan. And to, and to not, uh, not that there's regret in heaven, so to speak, but that, that we wouldn't have any regrets when he comes back. Um, and, be, and be truly ready uh, when he does. And God, with that, as, as we read your word, we want to be ready. We want to be found ready. And we know that that's your heart for us, that that desire is not our own. That desire is from your Holy Spirit, that God, you would uh, use us in your will, that your will will be done on earth, uh, even in dark times, especially uh, in dark times. Let us shine bright, but let your word go forth from here uh, today and uh, not return void. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read Revelation chapter 9. It would be helpful if I had that turned to it. Uh, And we're going to take it in a few chunks. And after I get a sip of Gatorade, we will read the first four verses together. And John writes, what he saw, remember, he was there. He says, then the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of that pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And we'll stop there. You know, Revelation is not meant to be confusing. Revelation, if we take it for what it is, and look at Scripture and pray through it, it doesn't have to confuse us. And so when he says the fifth angel sounds, there is a fifth angel, and it blasted a trumpet. Uh, We see that in heaven that there is these creatures who are doing the will of the Father, who are called up for this appointed time to blow a trumpet for this appointed time. That all throughout history, this trumpet was not blown on purpose, but at this time, it is. That it's future for us, but I don't know how it works in heaven's perspective, but it, it happened. When John saw this, it was happening in real time. We know that trumpets, at least in the biblical sense, sound a blast for war. They announce the herald of a king, so to speak. Or for a great event like a feast. Um, I don't know if you've heard a shofar. My Uncle John has a shofar we heard this summer, right? But I would imagine that an angel blowing a heavenly trumpet would have to shake you to your very core. That this blast wouldn't be uh, like the Boy Scout bugle. That this blast would really shake reality in and of itself. And this trumpet blast in heaven has a direct, events, direct effect Excuse me, on the events of creation, from spiritual to physical. That this angel is a spiritual being, the trumpet he has wasn't made with human hands, and yet we see effects on earth. We see, John says, a star fallen from heaven to earth. That this isn't an asteroid here, because he calls a star a he, that he was given authority, right? We've seen other stars fall from heaven, mountains cast to earth in earlier chapters. But Isaiah calls out in Isaiah 14, 12-15, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. All the stuff that's going on in the world that's supposedly going to make the world stronger is weakening the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. That Satan's end is written. But in God's omniscience, he allows Satan to go about and do things. And here, he allows this angel fallen from heaven, the star fell from heaven, to open up this pit. If you want to look uh, later, uh, in Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19, uh Speaks to the king of Tyre, and it, it's very interesting because it, he's speaking to the king of Tyre, but he's speaking directly to Satan and this this influence of Satan on this world leader of the past. And um, you know, was was it Satan incarnate, so to speak? Uh, you know, I think it was pretty close, the type of Antichrist. But we see all throughout Scripture of angels going to heaven and down to earth. We see Jacob's ladder when he has that vision; he sees the angels going up to heaven and down. We see Job, we see the angels appearing before God and somehow fallen Satan is allowed before God to kind of give an account and, and God talks to him about Job and we know the story of Job. You know, we, we see lots of strange signs and wonders and I won't get into it in this one. But know that if you, when the world thinks it's aliens, when the world thinks it's UFOs, it's fallen angels. It's very clear that if it's not some natural phenomenon or secret Soviet project, that this, it's a spiritual element. And it's clear throughout Scripture that they go to and fro from heaven to earth. But we know that time and eternity is something interesting. Eternity itself is, in a sense, the temporal space outside of our own time. You know, that it's not bound by the same laws of physics that we are. That somehow heaven is part of creation. We know that God is going to make a new heavens and a new earth. But that it's not bound by the same rules that we are. You know, I think just like the Trinity, how we can't totally understand with our little human brains the Father and the Son and the Spirit and how they are one and they work together, yet we know it to be true. We've seen it to be true. We believe it. We, we understand it to some degree, yet there's no way we can truly understand God in, in that sense. I think in the same way, if we approach uh, eternity in that, in that mindset, um, you know, that it has far more overarching implications over our, our time domain. Over the past, the present, future, and death. When we talk about people dying and then people being resurrected and you know, where are they? I think when we begin to understand that time and eternity, uh, we can't really wrap our heads around it. It becomes a lot easier to understand. But for this, let's have the heavenly perspective here. That when God gives us this revelation, he's really giving us a glimpse not only into the spiritual, but also the physical future of Earth. That these things are to come and they, these things could happen. Four years from now, this may not be very far in the future for these events to take place. And yet we as believers are given this window. In fact, the whole world has had this Bible. You know, world leaders want to know what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. That everything going on geopolitically right now is going to end up to these things. And we see a star fall from heaven and has fallen. It's a description of the star that it is a fallen star. Maybe it fell at this time and this was the first event or this is just a description that this star that was fallen was given this key to the bottomless pit. And this key is a key which gives power to the possessor to open and shut. And, you know, like the Lord says, you know, what God opens, no one can shut. And what God shuts, no one can open. And yet God allows this fallen being to have limited authority for a time. And this word uh, in the Greek, abyssos freer, means bottomless unbounded think about these words these descriptive words this immeasurable depth it's a very deep chasm in the lower parts of the earth that was a receptacle of the dead home of demons a picture even the word is a picture of a well a cistern where it's smaller at the top and it grows bigger at the bottom and this is what uh, the ancients believed about the underworld right that under the earth, a big chasm of the dead. I don't know if you guys have heard of hollow earth theory, but it doesn't sound that crazy anymore. A Society on the inside of the earth. You know, journey to the center of the earth, right? Jules Verne. Uh, of course, it is kind of crazy, but remember that all these things on earth seem to have uh, their roots somewhere. If we look at the, uh, the gods of Rome and of Greece and of ancient civilizations, and we look at what the Bible teaches about the before the flood and after the flood... You begin to see that these roots, uh, you know, although twisted uh, in our day and age, do have some root in truth. You know, we still don't know what's on the inside of the earth, uh, at least even physically, right? We have guesses based on current science, but we know how that changes. But we're talking spiritually here. That even if the core of the earth was just a big giant piece of iron or nickel, that's just physically. Spiritually, there seems to be throughout Scripture much, much more. And here we see that this pit is opened, that this key is given, and a pit is opened from the earth. And smoke came out as a great furnace. And this smoke blacked out the sky. Now, you know, we see all these eruptions lately, and we're, you know, we have worldwide TV and the internet, and we see all these amazing volcanic eruptions. We were watching that one yeah. over uh, in the East Atlantic, and it was crazy just the way it would eat up the houses, and the mountain just exploded. Um, or we saw one uh, a few years ago in what was it, Scandinavia or Norway, where Planes were diverted and a huge ash cloud. But that's, in a sense, what happens here, that there's a physical and a spiritual event, I believe, going on at the same time here. And out of this pit, more than lava comes, more than smoke and sulfur. Um, And uh, not only does it create darkness physically, but a great spiritual darkness comes out as well. You know, people today are so worried about global warming uh, but truthfully, if you look at what they're really afraid of, they're just afraid of another flood. They don't believe what God said, that he's not going to flood the earth. But it doesn't mean that global disasters aren't going to happen. But it's not because you don't drive a Prius. It's because sin is in the world. And man continues to sin. The world is going to get very hot because of sin. And far worse climate change is going to happen in the span of the seven years than we've ever seen before. But out of the smoke, locusts come. And I don't know if this reminds you of uh, ancient Egypt or modern famines when they show footage in Africa and, and Arabia of locust swarms coming. But as we see a little bit later, these don't seem to be large grasshoppers. Yes, that's what they're described as locusts, but I think that's more in their behavior. I think that's more in their swarming and the amount of them. Uh, you know, when there's so many locusts, there almost, there is almost a dark cloud. It almost does dark out the sun in a big one. Um, But how would they survive in the middle of the earth? You know, these are spiritual beings. These are a plague of demonic entities. Remember that a third of the angels fell from heaven with Satan. I don't know, like, what was wrong with them, but they decided to leave God and go with Satan. And that doesn't mean that they're all these kind of uh, angels that look like people uh, or that are nice and, you know, uh, like the little cherubim, little babies. I don't know where they get that picture from, ancient Rome. But they are seraphim, they are a they are all sorts of spiritual beings left with Satan and rebelled against God. And I imagine that there are plenty of different types of them, um, just as there are different types of animals on earth, because remember that creation is a picture, um, was designed as a picture of heavenly existence, right? But these locusts are given power, and the word power means power of choice, in liberty in doing which one pleases. Or given leave or permission, as if from um, battle. Right, soldiers are given leave to go home. They're given physical and mental power. I mean, it's scary enough. We you see artificial intelligence and what a computer decision. If you guys remember that movie, two thousand and one, a space Odyssey, when the computer began to you know turn on its uh, uh, the people on the spaceship. But they have authority and influence. They have rule or government. Uh, universally and specifically, uh, and they have these crowns, a sign of authority, that these spiritual beings are given some level of rule, as we'll see, limited, but rule on earth. And unlike locusts, they weren't to eat grass or plants, uh, but instead they were to ravage mankind. Just as a swarm of locusts would ravage a harvest on the earth, these locusts are going to ravage Satan's harvest on earth. And in fact, it's not even believers. You would think that a demonic horde would be given authority to attack believers uh, per se, but instead they attack followers of Satan. They attack those who don't have the mark of God on their foreheads. You know, whether it's those who have taken the mark of the beast or there's some subset of people who haven't yet taken the mark or undecided. I don't know if that's even possible in this day and age, but this interesting uh, dichotomy in the last times that is very evident who is for God and who isn't. That it even takes a sense of a physical mark, you know, whether you can see the mark of God, I don't know, but people can see the mark of the enemy on them. Uh, You know, it's been a bit murkier in the past, like I sort of alluded to. You know, in our society in America, it's been a little bit murkier. You know, is even the church? You know, is this church really for God or is it not? But the lines are being clearly drawn more and more every day, even in our own day and age. Um, Soon, it won't just be a vaccine passport. No matter what they tell you, remember they told us it was two weeks to slow the spread or whatever it was. And now here we are years later. And now there weren't going to be vaccine passports. Uh, It was only going to be one shot. And now they're talking about a fourth. It's because they're lying to us. They're, they have a, a final plan and they're just going to give us a little bit, a little bit more and more, but know that it's only going to get worse. It'll be total allegiance to a mark of a person, a spiritual system and government and I wouldn't be surprised if a vaccine's mixed into all that. You know, all these people disappear. All this stuff happens on the earth. You know, they're going to promise all sorts of things. And people are going to line up to take this mark. But let's remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. So to those who don't love God, we smell like death to them. They smell their own death on us and to the other the aroma of life leading to life and who is sufficient for these things that man being on this call with you guys it's like an aroma of life to me to be able to to spend time with you and see you and hear you pray and worship together i think it's it's so important uh, especially in these last days when so much is going to be coming against us as believers even our, our own countrymen so to speak let's go on verse 5 and 6 in uh Excuse me, Uh, and they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. You know, one thing that they weren't allowed to do was to kill people. I think in some sense, death would be mercy for them. Death would be unjust at the hands of these locusts on these people who have taken the mark. That this God-given authority over the demonic realm, that they're allowed to be released, they're allowed to attack satanic followers of uh, the Antichrist, but his kingdom is not some utopia. God is not going to give them an out. They're going to have to deal with this uh, for the extent of it. That they're going to have to have the consequence of this. You know, this final world government is not going to be a perfect utopia. You're going to see that some of the horns rise up against the other horns. That it's going to be a war with itself. And at the core, it's going to hate the people it governs. Just like the government today, you know, when they promise you things, it's not because they love you, it's because they want your, they want your uh, power for themselves. But instead, uh, these locusts are given the authority to torment for five months, torment like a scorpion. You know, I previously read through this and studied through this and I, I can't get more than that. I can't get more of a description other than, you know, what a scorpion stings and it hurts and has the potential to kill, but it doesn't. It just hurts really bad. But I imagine that this torment has all sorts of full body pain, mental pain, physical pain, even spiritual pain. I wonder, will these people even see these locusts attacking them? These people are so spiritually blind that they've accepted the Antichrist and taken his mark in their body. Will they be able to see the spiritual things going on? Or will they just see the sun and sky darkened? Uh, Will it be hidden from their blind spiritual eyes? I don't know. Um, Will it be seen as a side effect of taking the mark? All is fine, and then a little while later, they receive torment for taking the mark. You know, we talk about vaccine hesitancy, right? We don't know what what the long-term effects of it is. Even if it's nothing, there still hasn't been a long-term study, and even the studies that we have now, we don't know. But I digress. You know, that that this is one of the scariest verses. Uh, Something that I think begs to at least think about and imagine how it plays out, even if it's only a few words. Verse 6, it says, In those days, men will seek death, and they will not find it. They will desire to die. And death will flee from them. You know we saw in Jesus' resurrection. That people came up out of the graves. It was the walking dead. Uh, a little less gory I think. But when Jesus was resurrected. Others were resurrected. That they walked the earth again. Lazarus did. But these folks are not going to be able to find death. That this torment is so bad. People are going to want to die. But they will not find it. And you have to think. What does this mean? Are they going to try and kill themselves and it doesn't work? Are they trying to overdose and they have horrible side effects on their body and organs, but they don't die? Do they throw themselves off a building or in front of a train, but they survive the trauma? They will seek death, but they will not find it. They will go after death, but it will flee from them during this time. You know, will they try and do worse things to themselves and and still be able to call nine one one? I don't know. But this to me is one of those verses that calls out, like we see in the Psalms, a Salah moment to to stop, think, and consider it. You know, thankfully, you know I think the whole world tries to flee from death. You know, with everything the world does, try and live longer, have a you know your best life now, and then when they finally do want to die they won't be able to have it. And I find this interesting too, because Satan wants everyone to die, if we remember in the garden, and he wants to drag people to hell and use them for his purpose, and he'd happily kill every last one, but God doesn't allow him that authority here. God says, nope, only torment for the followers here. Verse seven says, the shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. That five months out of the seven years is dedicated to this. And we see that the locusts are described here that they're prepared for battle covered with armor, battle dress. They have crowns on their heads and and something like gold although it's not gold. You know, I remember gold is a sign of, of deity. Faces like men's, long women's hair, teeth like lion's teeth. So again, these are not grasshoppers. I've not, if I saw a grasshopper like this, I don't I don't know. Uh, we have, when we, we here in the spring and summer, uh, grasshoppers take over and you walk out in the, in the yard and it's like you're Moses parting the Red Sea. There's just waves of grasshoppers in front of you. And, if, and, and, and they're gross when you get up close to them, uh, you know, especially when they try and hop inside. Uh, but if they look like this, uh, I, I I don't know what I would do. I might even be willing to live in Florida. <laughs> but they have iron-like armor. They sound, their sound of wings is like many chariots. They have this loud sound. Um, it's got to be frightening. Uh, tails like scorpions. I don't imagine they're small either. I imagine that these are big. And I remember coming to the Lord. I read Revelation. I used to try and imagine these like attack helicopters. i try... And put a physical spin on a spiritual thing I couldn't come to grips with, Uh, but these aren't helicopters. These are far worse than the scariest attack helicopter, um, because their appearance is not of any human machine of warfare. Um, For time, I won't go there, but read Joel 2, 1 through 11 about the army of the Lord. Joel 2, 1 through 11 about an army of God. That these creatures, if fallen, were meant for a purpose. They were an army. The commentary talks about this area as a time of unprecedented demonic torment. And I would agree. We are tormented, uh, you know, people are tormented by demons throughout all history, but this is unlike any other. And again, I believe Revelation, I know, Revelation opens the window for us to see into the future. A time when everything spiritual is unveiled and unleashed. That these things have been held back. They're in this pit now. If you have the right shovel... Thankfully, you don't. You might be able to dig them up. But it takes that key. But these things are unleashed. And when the realms and dimensions that were split by the act in the garden, when, when creation was together, God used to walk in the garden. Man would see him and walk with him. But it's sin that that was split. They were kicked out of the garden. I believe that there was a a, a rip in space-time, so to speak. And, and in this final time, these things begin to come back together in unholy ways. And we see that. Well, in some sense, it is a holy way because God has allowed it and even ordained it. But things are loosed, that were sealed, and things that were prevented are no longer withheld. Um, as even and later on in the chapters about the four angels that were withheld are no longer withheld. This is not a time uh, one which should desire to be around for. And verse 11 says, They had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name of Apollyon one woe is past behold still two more woes are coming after these things it says that they have a king over them the angel of the pit Abaddon, apollyon which means his his name is destruction or destroyer we know that that the enemy loves to steal kill and destroy now obviously satan is over all the demonic horde they followed him but this this angel of the pit doesn't necessarily mean it's him it could be but it's not necessarily clear but it could just be some demonic general over this horde you know uh, the king locusts but it's interesting that real locusts don't have a king real locusts are the swarming creature it's not like they go back to a nest like bees and have a queen or something so we know that this is more than than locusts and i'm sure that there's a ton more to unpack if you look at uh, what they actually look like in the symbology there but the scripture says one woe is past, still two more you know where the first five trumpets one woe and these next two trumpets are equal so to speak in woe level that, you know, if this is one, wow, who would want to go through that and everything we've seen up to this point, And yet there's still two more. You know, these woes, a woe is an exclamation of grief. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but the future is being built to us as a place where we'll own nothing and be happy. But it's going to be far from that. It's going to be a, a time of deep grief, even in our own time before the tribulation actually kicks off but this time of tribulation is going to be a time of grief and death and torment that this is not going to be a good time. This is going to be a, a time full of hell's grief. But even more than that, I know that in some sense it grieves God to have to do this. It grieved him when he sent the flood on the earth and it grieves him to have to allow these things to happen in revelation. They even call them to be, but he's God and he has to do this. He's a righteous judge and a righteous judge may, must make righteous judgments. And there are hard things in life that we are called to do. Not because we'll enjoy it or should enjoy it, or it's going to be fun, or it's going to be something we can't wait to do. We're going to dread doing it or having to do it. But we're going to have to do it because it is the right thing to do. I don't think any of us is going to be excited if someone calls one day to have our head chopped off because we love God. But it's something that I guarantee when we get there, we're all i think we'll all be willing to do somehow by the grace of god it might even grieve us to do the things we're called to do the things we're called to say to others the people we're called to have to cut off for a season or the things we're going to have to do to give up to follow the lord i'm sure those who rightfully administer the death penalty don't rejoice other than the fact that justice is being served but they they allow they they take part in the death penalty because it's the right thing to do. Someone has committed such a heinous crime that they deserve the death penalty. They're given time to repent, but not, they shouldn't be allowed to go on anymore. The, the victim needs to know, or the victim's family needs to know that this person doesn't get away with it. That there's grief in the fact that so many events in these people's lives led up to that very moment that justice had to be administered. And I know that God feels the same way. In Matthew 11:20, 20, Jesus says, He began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. These things in Revelation are happening because the world did not repent. I believe somehow if the whole world repented, Revelation would be way different. It would just be some final battle between God and Satan, and it would be over in a second. But the people are there because they did not repent. And he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Beseda, For the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago, and sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for those cities in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which were done to you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. That this day of judgment is coming, it cannot be stopped, no matter what the world thinks, no matter what it's going to try and do to try and unite against God. It's either going to be escaped, endured, um, or it'll be an end. It'll be escaped for those who die or are raptured, endured by tribulation saints and possibly unmarked, or it'll be an end for those who take the mark. And it's, you know, I know that this is a hard thing, that revelation is hard. Sometimes it's hard. But we need to hear it. But more so, it should remind us that Jesus took all this judgment on the cross. All of this is happening. Because the world did not repent. It did not accept Jesus as their Savior. And God does not want this judgment to happen to them. Hell, again, was not created for people. It was created for these angels which rebelled. Yet people will still choose this and choose this end over trusting God, even when it's absolutely obvious. Hebrews 3 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin, that we live in the last days, and deception is going to be so great that even the elect would be deceived, if at all possible, if those days weren't shortened. Now hey guys, things are going to come to try and trick us, pull us away from the Lord, pull us away from each other. They're going to be even from the government and from well-meaning people to try and keep us away from each other. But let's keep reminding each other while it's today that God loves you, God loves each other, God loves the world, that the judgment was taken on the cross. And yes, we need to preach it, but at the same time, we need to live for, for his kingdom. So I just want to encourage you to keep living for him. Keep telling others. Keep living your life at your workplace or with your friends or family. Don't give up, especially if you've fallen. Get up. Keep going. As believers, again, this judgment is not for us, it was taken for us on the cross. even if you know you don't believe in the rapture, if you believe that as a believer you would go through this, God is going to would protect you through this. this judgment is not for that believer, it's for the unbeliever. And it's in my notes and as it was prayed before, the night is coming, Jesus said, when no one can work. so in this twilight time, let us work hard for the kingdom, let's work hard for our Lord and be ready. Uh, for his return. Amen? Amen. Amen. So God, would you just bless bless all of us, God. We've heard your word. We know that it's a blessing. But would you use it in all of us to uh, sober us up and get us ready for what lies ahead? And not only that, but to bring others into your kingdom by your spirit and by your word and by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Bless um, all of our friends and family and, and most of all our brothers and sisters here uh, in the faith. Uh, we love you, God, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a vineyard of the Lord There is a vineyard for our all With all our troubles left behind the door We drink first light until the door